Welcome to the Immigrant Stories Program. I'm your host, Walter Gallagher. And today my interview is from an interview I did in 2009 with Pat and Tony Tanazi, two of the finest people I've had the pleasure of knowing. Pat was 86 at the time and Tony was 89. And you could tell their love was something special, even then. Anyone who knew them knew that they had something special. They fell in love amidst the chaos and uncertainty of World War II. Tony was the son of Italian immigrants. and he joined the Navy before the war to escape the crush of poverty in southern Colorado, brought on by the Depression and the Dust Bowl of the 1930s. Pat was an Irish lass, one of four children born to Stephen and Marie Wall in Minneapolis, Minnesota. In 1942, when Pat was 19, she went to California for her brother's wedding at Mare Island Naval Station. It was her brother who introduced her to a young sailor named Tony, who was serving as an altar boy for the wedding. Well, um, I remember when I met you, I thought, uh, uh, he's really a nice man or a nice boy, really. In those days, you didn't call them men, I guess, yet. But uh, I'd always kind of been with one boyfriend through high school until I'd go with another one, never could really play the field, as they put it. So when I went out to my brother's wedding in California, I thought, I'm just going to go with a whole bunch of fellows out there. But my mother said, don't you go falling in love with any sailor. And I met Tony, and I never went with anybody else again. That was the beginning of our romance. He really fell for me, you know what? I, and I was ready, too. Uh, I guess our first date, we went to a show together, didn't we? Probably, or something like that. Mm-hmm. She was... She was uh, out there at her brother's wedding, and and her folks went back, uh, so uh, she was a kind of a lonesome little girl, and I really took over, didn't I, Pat? And we used my brother's. Uh, remember when we used my brother's? What was it, a Plymouth? Yeah. Went down to Muir Beach, and we never, we've never known how we found it, but north of San Francisco, and the phosphorus waves were lit up at night. It was beautiful. Oh. We didn't know how we found that place, but I think we kind of committed to each other there, don't you, Pat? I didn't take too long. Yeah, I didn't take too long. And finally, her we kept going together and having a lot of fun. And uh, uh, her brother called her folks and said, I think they're getting pretty serious. You better get her to come home. <laughs> so, Pat, you take over. Well, Tony gave me five dollars when my, when I got on the train. I didn't have any. I was going to work out there, and I, I, I didn't have any skills at that time. And World War II jobs hadn't started, so I took the train back to Minnesota. And Tony got uh, orders to go overseas, so I would write him letters, and I would put a stick of gum in there. And he didn't tell me till years later that it got all sticky from the heat because he was way down in New Caledonia. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But he got home a year later, and then we got married in Minnesota and took Amtrak out, too. I was kind of worried about meeting her folks. You know, I hadn't met the mother and dad out at her brother's wedding, 
and uh, uh, but uh, you know, uh, I got back there on the train, had ticket both ways for her and I, and she says, "I'm going to take you to a bar and we're going to have a drink." Well, we a got, hotel Radisson, not a bar. Oh, the Radisson <laughs> Hotel. <laughs> No. <laughs> we got in there and, and uh, so the waitress came up and I ordered a drink and she didn't question me I had a uniform on and Pat ordered a drink and she says how old are you she's 21 and says what year were you born and she couldn't think of the year I've never been good at math <laughs> so we had to leave <laughs> But then we took the Amtrak, and Amtrak was still a nice train. The dining room had linen tablecloths and napkins, and had a nice trip out to California and stopped and met his family in southeastern Colorado, and I had never met them. I had met his two sisters out in California. And uh, that was the beginning. Yeah. I was assigned then to the Navy Hospital at Corona, California. And uh, when we got out there, this lady helped us get a little house in Corona, which was right next to the, not a couple miles from the hospital. And that's where we started our family. Corona had a, it was encompassed with a racetrack that they had made a parkway out of from, who was the racer, do you remember? Uh, Barney Oldfield Racetrack. So then uh, there was another Navy wife who was expecting their first baby, and she and I would walk around that whole track, but it was a boulevard then. It wasn't a track anymore. We'd walk around that every morning till the Luana yeah. was born. Mm -hmm. I had become chief then, chief pharmacist mate. Uh, I had a pretty good deal being in the personnel office. After they'd see... Uh, I was doing such good work. I'm not bragging or anything. <laughs> they said, write up exam, Tony, and take it. But during the war, they were getting promotions. Uh, so we had it pretty nice there. And as a chief at, at that time, I think that was about $160 a month with with a dependent allowance. So that was part of quite a bit of money. And uh, we made a lot of friends there. And we weren't too far from my sisters and my dad and mom and moved out that way then. So it was really nice to be with family. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Immigrant Stories Program. I'm your host, Walter Gallagher, and my interview today is with Pat and Tony Tanazi. It's an interview I recorded in 2009, but every so often at Valentine's Day, I take it out and dust it off and share it. It's an audio Valentine postcard to all of you. Pat and Tony were lovers for a lifetime, 72 years married, and their love shows through. We didn't have a very big wedding because there weren't a lot of men around, and Tony didn't know anybody up in the Twin Cities. So my brother-in-law was Tony's best man, Al, my sister's husband, and my best friend, across the street that I grew up with, Dory, was the bridesmaid. And uh, I think my two sisters were living, but I just thought they were so much older <laughs> that I overlooked them to be bridesmaids, and now I look back on that like that was 
not very nice. But we were married at St. Helena's and had a little brief honeymoon at Stillwater at the Lowell Inn, and then got on Amtrak and packed our trunk. and Beautiful bride, you know, yeah. So, Tony, when did you know you were in love? Tell me the day, the, the hour, the time <laughs> oh. you went, wow, this is it. When she walked in the room in, the, in this apartment and and they introduced me to her. Oh. <laughs> uh, he's not Irish, but he's full of the old Bellarney <laughs> stone. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I, I, I'd had a few dates in high school and a few in college and so on, but uh, I, I never really went steady for a, with a gal very much. I don't know, it just came on us like a thunderclap. Didn't it, Pat? Well, I think I just thought, he's too nice a man not to ever see again. A little bit practical, but love, I think, is part being uh -huh. practical. <laughs> I don't know for sure. <laughs> she said, you're sure a good smoocher, Tom. <laughs> oh, it was your kissing, right? I thought you were a nice guy. You were a nice guy, you kiss well. Yeah, that's your story. Huh? Yeah, that's your story. <laughs> No, he's pretty good. In fact, our daughter just said the other day, Dad, you've got such nice, soft lips. Uh-oh. <laughs> yes. Uh, mm. We've got a niece that was just getting ready to get married one day, or just married, and she, I kissed her, and she says, you're a plunger puss. <laughs> and we just saw her at brother's funeral back there, and she still calls me plunger puss. <laughs> But we enjoyed Navy life. Everybody's like family. And uh, uh, I wouldn't encourage my children to join now, though. The, but uh, it's been, it was a good life while we yeah. were there. Seven of us, the family, have been in the service, so with the grandkids and so on. One in there now, grandson. Mm -hmm. Then in 1945, we decided to go back to Minnesota because Tony was getting out of the service. He had shore duty. That's why we were able to be together in Corona. But we had, what, 28 years in Minneapolis. I went out to the Veterans Hospital work where I had a recommendation from one of the officers. He says, the VA is really going to grow after this. He says, I, I had enough points to get out of the Navy early because I'd went in so early when they started folding down. And uh, uh, so he uh, uh, gave me this letter, and I thought about going to the University of Minnesota. I wanted to be an undertaker. I did quite a bit of that work as a chief pharmacist, made work with the next of kin and, and so on, made burial arrangements for people, sailors that were dying, especially after Pearl Harbor. And so I... Uh, I took some vocational tests, and they said, well, you could be an undertaker, or you could be a, a, a dentist. We were living with our folks, and were, we were all cramped in this house together, you know, no place to live. So I went out to the VA and, and, and asked if they had any jobs and showed them this letter of recommendation. So I uh, they had a job opening. They started as a, 
I see I won there fourteen hundred and forty dollars a year, <laughs> and uh, but uh, this guy says you get in here and you'll get promotions. And boy, I really went to town. I landed up as supply officer for a five-state area and out of Minneapolis. Started at a CF1 and retired as a GS13. <laughs> But uh, I was awful fortunate. Made a lot of good contacts, and I was a smart little bastard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wish you, you ever regret not being an undertaker? And uh, no, no. Uh, it it was a good field, and uh, but uh, I'm glad I didn't. Yeah, this was a good field because we eventually moved out to this Fort Snelling, and we got one of these big army houses. Before we could raise a family, it worked out real good, didn't it? Oh, our children had so much fun. You had to go down a, a cliff, or, you know, roads, actually, but down, the, we lived up above the river quite a, how many feet do you think? But anyway, the kids would go down there to play, and, uh, oh, they made rafts and... Pontoon boats and fished down under. Greg was a... Gunji on the river down there. They'd walk the bridge bridge spans, which I never knew about until they got older. On the under trestles. And Greg would spear carp under the Minnehaha Falls. And it was a beautiful place hey, to live. And would sneak beer. Oh, I guess he was an angel, though, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, then when we moved on to there, uh, Greg got work on the golf course in McGovern became a golf course superintendent. And he hired Brian and Tim and other kids too. He became the golf course super, superintendent, you know. So uh, it worked out real good. We were only about uh, 150 yards before you teed off on the golf course where we <laughs> lived. And uh, we had a swimming pool there, the golf course. So it worked out real good. Was the only thing they, this, the house had an upstairs and a back stairs and then a front stairs. And the dang kids could sneak out without us knowing it. Bad. Did they do that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but however, we sound like our heart is still in Minnesota, and part of it is. But when we moved to Colorado, one of our boys, Joe, said, I've had more fun out here in a day than I had all my life in Minnesota. <laughs> and that made me feel bad because I thought they had a wonderful oh, life. Oh, we had a wonderful, you know, and we did a lot of in the camping trailers and uh, up to the North Shore, Lake Superior, skiing up in Lutzen Ski Area up there, and the parks were beautiful around there. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Immigrant Stories program. I'm your host, Walter Gallagher, and my interview today is from 2009 with Pat and Tony Tanazi. Pat and Tony had 12 children in Fort Snelling, Minnesota, and when they came from there to Glenwood Springs, all 12 came with them. In this segment, Tony refers to Nick Massaro, who was the principal of the Glenwood High School at the time, and Rachel Magnell. Rachel was a local realtor, and Al Axtell. Al was the city manager. I had just asked Pat what was the hardest time for them together. Probably having our children so close at the time, it, it 
it seemed difficult. I'd envy Tony going off to work, and I'm <laughs> home all day with the children. Then I look back on it now and see how the women work, and I think how fortunate I was, really. But you don't know it at the time, like so many things that life gives you. Yeah. And then uh, I decided to retire. I had about 33 years in civil service, and uh, we t rode for, or came from some friends to Vail to ski. And after I decided to retire, I said, Pat, let's move to Colorado. And some uh, from friends told us, if you want to move any place in Colorado, move to Glenwood Springs. That's the most beautiful place in the country. 1971, and the is so beautiful, sunlight, you know. That he was an engineer with Honeywell, and they used to come over in from Denver to Glenwood Springs. So they sent I, us a postcard and signed it. Uh, who was the skier? John Claude Keeley. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I converted an old uh, mail truck into a camper, uh, carpeted it. And every, you remember the slide-up door in the back? Yeah. Carpeted it on the inside and put army bunk beds around the sides, <laughs> slide it, put a tent on the back with Velcro so we could get more kids. <laughs> and we drove that, that thing just to look for a place to live, but that's when we got to Glenwood Springs. Uh, and they put the kids in the pool and they, we, the kid says, this is where we want to come to. And we had a house out at Three Mile, that uh, hideout, but the guy, we were going to help him run the house. But he found somebody else, a couple that had a college education, and he said, I'm giving them the house, but I'll give you a trailer to live in. And so we took the trailer, and so we had a regular caravan coming out from Minneapolis. Pat drove the station wagon with bikes in the trailer, and I drove the mail truck out. Brian, Brian drove the U-Haul truck. Tim and Joe drove a Volkswagen and bug. We drove, got into the hideout later on at night, and, and we kept waking up learning. He says, God, how many Tanazis are there? <laughs> now they know in Glenwood, don't yeah, they? Yeah, now they know in Glenwood. <laughs> but we lived in there, and it was kind of fun. It was, a, well, I think, about a 14 by 70 trailer. But somebody reported us to social service because... Uh, they thought there were too many people. <laughs> we couldn't Mazzaro, find anything to rent or buy right away. Yeah, Nick Mazzaro, uh told us uh, that somebody had reported, and he, he kind of looked into it, I guess, didn't he? Yeah. But Rachel Magnell had taken us. Uh, you remember Rachel? You bet. you bet. You know how blind she was. You know, she drove us up behind on that dirt road back up there, and they were just a little scared the hell out of us. But this lot was for sale. For, did you know, uh, who was it, Nicholas? Oh, they were all mad at him for tearing up that hill. So they wanted $5,000 for this lot, but I didn't. I talked to Alex Dell, and he says, well, we'll get utilities. I want to get a house up there so I can sell some more lots up there. And so that's what kind of started the whole thing building up there. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Immigrant Stories program. And the interview today is with Pat and Tony Tanazi. Tony has just described how they ended up 
with a house on Iron Mountain in Glenwood Springs. When Pat harkens back to Fort Snelling, Minnesota, and life along the Mississippi River, and Tony's ability to make something out of nothing. Tony was always very creative, and he built a pontoon boat, one of the first that ever was. He got barrels. Yeah, well, kind of a, uh, there was a, uh, from the junkyard, they had these Phelan suction apparatus that they used in the hospital to pump the stuff out, and they had a bunch of rejects on those things, and so I got a bunch of those and had them welded together. And we had that out on a lake by Minneapolis, Prior Lake. Yeah. Go out there on the weekend. Tried it on the Mississippi River, fun it in, drived a bunch of kids, had about five nephews and, and four of my kids on there. Well, we got to Lake Pippin, which is down about 80 miles. A big storm came up, and we got over to shore. We had to stay there for the night, so, so that was the end of our trip on the river. Called Pat to bring the trailer. I built a trailer to carry the pontoon boat. So we went to, we had her, his brother was at La Crosse. In La Crosse, yeah, La Crosse. Yeah, La Crosse. He come up and picked us up, called Pat, and she came down with the trailer with the babies. <laughs> Poor kid. <laughs> what we did to her. <laughs> so how far did you float? Uh, about 90 miles to Lake City. From Minneapolis to yeah. Lake Pippin. Yeah, to Lake Pippin, yeah. And uh, uh, we uh, were going to sleep on the boat, and Joe says, the lightning will strike us on this thing. All this wire around it. I had hog wire around the pond. <laughs> Real fancy. <laughs> they slept in the uh, women's bathhouse? There's a women's bathhouse that was open, and we all took the sleeping bags and went in there just as the rain came, and it blew like mad. It was kind of a tornado. Three o'clock in the morning, the police were shining flashlights and all these kids in the women's restroom. What are you doing in here? I explained it to him, and he said, go back to sleep. And So that was the end of that venture. But we had a lot of fun with that old boat, all different lakes, and we'd put uh, barbecue on it and cook on it and go out on the lake, you know, wow. plywood. <laughs> he would... would if it, everybody would go to one side at one time, get over to the other side and we'll tip over. <laughs> well, the first one you built did tip over down under the Fort Snelling. In oh, the, yeah, that was just two 50-gallon barrels. <laughs> uh, yeah, crazy people. We're lucky we got all those kids all day. Crazy in a good way. Uh, we oh, had fun. Man. I said we had an angel, though, a guardian angel. I truly believe in one. Uh, we did a lot of camping with them. Uh, those tent trailers we pulled around a lot. Drove to California one or two times, did we? Went around Lake Superior. Up around Superior. Lake Superior, Michigan. Out bought firecrackers. So, Tony, what do you love about this woman? Uh, Tell her. Sex. <laughs> Tony, she <laughs> might <money. laughs> <laughs> <laughs> Oh, <laughs> You know, we we really worked good together, you know, and had a lot of fun together. Took a lot of trips, trips to Europe. And We're kind of a how, team. Huh? We're kind of a team, and we don't stop and think, well, how much is that going to cost? We just kind of do it, and it's, the money's always 
seems to be there. Yeah. I can remember when Tony's father died, his mother didn't think he should come out because we had just started uh, our life back in Minneapolis after the Navy. But the money was always there. Yeah, went out there. And, yeah, and she's been a, a really good, a good spouse, you know. Well, I don't want to tell Pat how, how much I love her because, you know, she might take advantage of me. <laughs> I guess so. Oh. When you see so many divorces, I, I know there's always a reason, but uh, that people would work harder on their marriages. And it's the companionship now, I think, is just worth, you know, just putting up with unconditional love. That's your word, unconditional. We did there's a three. lot of things that people argue over that you can just, let them go, and the next day you hardly remember you were mad about it. And you know, we're getting better at this all the time with Alzheimer's, you know. <laughs> we can't remember what we fought about yesterday. <laughs> the only thing I have to watch is when we play bridge and I... <laughs> she points her finger at me. She gives me the finger, Walt. <laughs> so what's the finger about? What's that? No. Oh. Why did oh, you do that? that? <laughs> Why did Why you did do that? <laughs> don't you know that was good or something? <laughs> oh, we've been so lucky. Well, I, in closing, you know, I, I Pat don't think we've had a very good family, but she don't <laughs> love. <laughs> they just, boy, they just love her so much. I'm jealous. The boys the love boys me. The boys and the girls. Those girls get together, and boy, they can just yap. You know. You know what I, I noticed about Tony? Uh, I can be like in the dental chair and he's out in the office, he's through with his work. And he's got those girls laughing. And the same at, we go down to the activity center, he checks in and they're laughing, giggling, I should say. Uh, they laugh at me. I'm a little I'm more, a clown. I'm more serious. Yeah, I, we just got too much to be thrown, you know, moving to Colorado and what we did from here. You know, if you can be grateful, you've got a lot going for you. That was Pat and Tony Tanazi, a love story for all you lovers out there. Pat and Tony were married for 72 years, and in that 72 years, they raised 12 children and made a wonderful life. Pat died in February of 2015, and Tony followed her five months later in the same year, in July. You've been listening to the Immigrant Stories program. Thanks for tuning in.